0: Um, we were paralyzed after the earthquake. At least I was paralyzed after the earthquake. I didn't know how to help. And I didn't know what to do after that. And then I realized I had two options or I remained with fear and paralyzed, or I did do something. And so I decided to do something.
1: Hi, and welcome to Alumni Stories. This week with Montserrat from Mexico. She has a master's degree from Uppsala University, an international humanitarian action.
0: Uh, currently, I'm the director of the International Renewable Resources Institute. It's based in Mexico City. In general, what the Institute is about, it's about designing clean technologies and transferring those clean technologies to indigenous communities and small farmers.
1: I met her in Stockholm during a short break from a Swedish Institute conference on smart energy that she was attending. This is how it sounds if I talk, and this is how it sounds when you talk.
0: Yeah, it's funny to always listen to your voice through our recorder.
1: What struck me with Montserrat was her ability to talk so openly about herself, her ability to first laugh at sad or challenging moments in her life, and then reflect on it, because Montserrat didn't get off to an easy start.
0: When we were little, we were very poor. We were those kind of kids that have big bellies because they have a lot of viruses and uh, no, it's not viruses, it's bacteria inside themselves, and they're really skinny but with really big bellies. So we grew up like that. My mom would do a lot of things to give us at least uh, basic food, and I remember back then the government would give milk. It was milk, almost for free. It was a a program they have. And then uh, it was discovered that this milk had a very poor processing process. So it had a lot of um, feces in it. So I remember I was always sick from my stomach. Then I realized why we were always sick from our stomach.
1: Monserrat has many stories like this one describing the poverty she and her family endured in Mexico City during her first years in life. Like when a neighboring woman smuggled food to Montserrat's mom through a trash can so the husband wouldn't find out. Or how her mom came up with innovative ideas to satisfy her kids' cravings for sweets.
0: We were always asking my mom for pastries. Because as a kid, you want something sweet and something nice and something that is very tasty. But we wouldn't have any of that. So my mom would take magazines and she would show us, okay, so let's all play this beautiful game in which we pretend we are eating this delicious pastry that is in this magazine. (laughs) I remember imagining those flavors and imagining that I one day will be able to have one of those pastries at my table.
1: After a few years, Montserrat's family managed to get themselves out of poverty. Her dad studied and became a university professor. And her brothers all became doctors. Later, her mom also studied and got a job. But to Montserrat, her first hand experience and understanding of destitution made her decide early what her professional life was going to be all about.
0: I always knew there was another way of living, but I always knew that there were two ways of getting there to that, to a better way of living. You can do it. through very mean ways or corrupt ways, which is something that is very popular in Mexico, or you can do it helping yourself and helping others. And I knew there need to be a way to do that, to have a better way of life by helping others and helping yourself and your family.
1: At the age of 15, Monserrat made her first trip abroad to Sweden It was a birthday gift from her parents, and she went with her brother. I
0: remember this one day, there was a rainbow, and uh, it was two rainbows in the sky, actually. And one part of the sky was clear, the other part of the sky was dark, really dark. And in the middle was kind of sunny. I remember thinking, how is this even possible? The sky was so clear and it was so beautiful that it was like um, something magical. And also the people were really warm, were really friendly. Everyone was so friendly. I remember we were staying in this kind of train hostel and the people in there started to sing Cielito Lindo for us just because we were Mexicans. I just fell in love with the country, with the people.
1: Montserrat went on to study international relations at university in Mexico, dreaming of becoming a UN diplomat. She did an exchange term in Sweden, the country she fell in love with. And while studying in Sweden, she came to realize that being a UN official was not her dream after all. She remembers attending a lecture by a Somali official. Montserrat asked him how she could go to Somalia and help.
0: And he replied, don't. If you want to help, don't go to Somalia. Because what happens is that international expats go and they hire protection services because they need them. And so they train personnel, security personnel, and the security personnel, of course, has weapons. And then the expats go home. So you have people trained that received a lot of money that has guns and that now has no employment. And that is how warlords started to pop up in Somalia. So sometimes, Uh, interventions cause cause more harm than good. So then I started to do my research on how to do structural changes, which mean also political changes, in order to make countries resistant and not be dependent on interventions from others in order to be okay to develop on their own.
1: This realization that structural change and the creation of resilient societies needs to come from the inside of every country eventually brought her back to Mexico after two years at Uppsala University. Back in Mexico, Montserrat completed a PhD in Ethics and Human Rights with a thesis on the rights of indigenous people. Shortly after, she was hired as the director of IRI, an NGO working to improve the lives of indigenous communities through clean and sustainable technology. Since many indigenous communities live in remote places, Montserrat gets to travel a lot to places few people have gone, like Sierra Vucula, where one of the communities live.
0: It's like going back 400 years in history. Imagine going to a semi-desert where there is no light, there is no comforts, there are no toilets, there is no running water, and also the beauty of it Of that immense silence and immense darkness in the night and then um, you have this wonderful group of people that are always providing whatever they have left of food they give it to us and they give it to us with their best intentions so it's not something you can deny and you sleep Uh, if you have a sleeping bag then you use it because it can get really cold with these semi-desert extreme conditions and you hardly sleep then there are like these uh, wild dogs in the night (laughs) just kind of scary to listen to them you don't know if they're gonna um, come and (laughs) die and so it's The earth is kind of white, if you think about the semi-desert. So it's kind of magical to go to a white, quiet place in the middle of nowhere and then see these people wearing so colorful clothes, especially women. The clothes are really, really colorful and they use it from head to toes.
1: The project Montserrat and her NGO work with apply a holistic approach trying to aid indigenous communities and farmers to improve the whole production chain, but within local customs and traditions. Sometimes, Monserratas found that to be challenging. Like when the community in Sierra Buchula said that water filters were bad because they eliminated the spirit in the water. Or like the tradition of sacrificing animals.
0: And I remember the first time I saw a cow being sacrificed. It was a horrendous experience. It was hearing a cow for 30 minutes fighting for its life and the smell and smell to blood and soil wet, out of blood. It was very hard for me, but it's part of their life, and if we want to work, there is things that we need to face and see and be present.
1: This pragmatic approach. The understanding that improvements must always be context-sensitive is something that Monserrat seems to live with every day. But last September, Monserrat, all of a sudden, stood before a different, much more immediate situation. An earthquake hit Mexico City. Monserrat was in the office building of IRI, her NGO.
0: Yeah, I thought the building was coming down with me in there. The rest of the team managed to go down the stairs. I had my dog in the office, so I had to put the leash on my dog. So by the time I put her the leash, we couldn't go down. And I tried to carry her because I knew she wouldn't be able to go through the stairs. But I I couldn't carry her, so we just uh, were stuck there in the building. And we were in the fourth floor. So, yeah, I thought the building was coming down. When it kind of stopped, it became not that hard. I went down the stairs and I saw it was a chaos downstairs. The glasses were still falling down. The electricity cables were exploding. And the team was just there, down, looking at everything. And then I thought, okay, it's time to act. And I, we went to, it's a for, there's a forest near, nearby. So we went to the forest. So I told them, okay, we can stay here. There's a gas leak somewhere. And the, the smell to gas was really, really strong. Uh, we didn't know by then, but a building nearby had a fall down. So there was a lot of smoke. We didn't know where the smoke was coming from. So we went to a forest. And I thought, okay, at least there are no gas connections here in the forest.
1: Montserrat stayed in the forest with her team until they felt safe to leave. The earthquake killed over 300 people and thousands were injured. Three months later, Montserrat is still processing the experience.
0: Yeah, The third earthquake thing is still, yeah, it's remembering how the earth just moved, it's It's not something you think about. You think that uh, the soil, the floor is always going to be there. And then it's not. It was kind of hard.
1: Montserrat was quick to act, not only to the ongoing situation, but also to the aftermath. She arranged a debrief seminar for her interns so that they could talk to someone about their traumatic experience. She even initiated a project in the city of Oaxaca, not far from Mexico City, and also hit by the earthquake. The project is building new houses with renewable materials to replace those that came down during the earthquake. But those were all initiatives to help others, not herself. Have you had a chance to debrief to someone?
0: No, not yet. I have been doing my own sort of debriefing through my work in Oaxaca.
1: But it sounds sort of, sort of symptomatic of your of your job right now. You have so much to do, so you don't even have the time to, to talk to someone about it.
0: No, I haven't had the time. Yeah, it's symptomatic of my work.
1: You're taking care of other people, but not, not of yourself, maybe?
0: Yeah. Yeah, maybe not. Not right now. Been trying to do that now. I went through a very, I say critical health situation by the half of this year was very unexpected. And one day the doctor told me you have a big tumor, 16 centimeters and we need to operate now. And then I realized how poorly I took care of myself. How do you let a tumor of that size just grow inside you without doing something about it? because I didn't even was listening to my body. So it was just one day that I couldn't go to work. I went to the doctor and the doctor said I need to open next week. And uh, after that, uh, I have been trying to to take more care of myself. But then it was the earthquake and then it has been an extreme year. I would call it extreme in many ways, extreme in almost uh, dying during surgery because an artery broke. And um, extreme now that I feel super healthy, because before I was super ill without knowing it. Uh, Extreme with all the work, with all the projects that are coming, with all the donors that are really happy with us and that we are receiving. And um, then the earthquake. And so it has been a life-changing year. And, but I hope next year will be calmer.
1: (laughs) Montserrat tells me she will take some time off soon. And despite all of the things she has gone through this year, her feeling of social responsibility has not dwindled a bit.
0: I have realized that that has been my motto in life. If I don't do that, I don't feel I'm doing what I came here to do to this world, I feel.
1: And what is that, if you were to specify?
0: ...to make others' lives better.
1: You have listened to Alumni Stories, the podcast that brings you the life stories and achievements of Swedish Institute alumni. In this episode, we talk to Monserrat from Mexico. If you're interested in more information about Iri, the NGO she's running, you should check out her website... You can find it on the Swedish Institute website under alumni stories. My name is Viktor Lövgren.
0: Now in December, I can't wait to start running.
1: What's the first distance you're going to run, you think?
0: I think I'm going to start with two kilometers. Then five, then ten, and then next year marathon again, hopefully.